Hey everyone, back again. Today I want to talk about something I guess a little bit different than what we normally find on this channel. Uh, and if you're new here, welcome. I explain or I try to explain uh, philosophical texts and ideas here in a pretty, what I think to be a pretty clear way. But today I want to talk about a term that comes out of conspiracy theory research. And the reason I'm talking about this is because this is actually my own kind of field of study. And it dovetails with certainly some ideas um, within post-structuralist thought, specifically the work of Michel Foucault. And it's a term that I think is pretty interesting, at least in terms of the study of conspiracy theories. And that is conspiracy panics, really developed by a, a guy named Jack Bradditch. But before we jump into that, uh, if you want to follow me, you can do that at in, on Instagram at theory underscore and underscore philosophy. Uh, if you're listening to this in podcast form, you can find the video on YouTube. If you're listening this to this on YouTube, you should be able to find it in podcast form anywhere where you get podcasts, and there shouldn't be any ads there, at least for now. Uh, if you want to help me out, like, share, subscribe, leave five stars, write reviews. Um, I like I like to hear from you. If you want to help out monetarily, you can do that with links below, but don't feel uh, obliged. And yeah, so let's talk about conspiracy panics. And in order to talk about conspiracy panics, it is first necessary for us to ask the question, what is a conspiracy theory? Well, that's a very tricky question to answer, because for some scholars in that camp, a conspiracy theory is any explanation of two people working in secrecy to some extent, which is kind of a vague term, like how do you define secrecy, uh, working in secrecy to enact some goal. So according to one philosopher in the field, MRX Dentith, uh, a conspiracy theory could be someone saying, I think someone, you know, I think my family is throwing me a surprise birthday party because these people are conspiring, they're organizing together to uh, enact some goal for, for whatever reason. But, you know, in day-to-day -day conversations, we wouldn't really call that a conspiracy theory. It seems as though when we discuss a conspiracy theory, or at least we're talking about conspiracy theories, we're really talking more about like people believing that you know aliens run the government or the moon is a hologram or whatever and so it seems like there's something more to the conspiracy theory at least in how we identify it than just saying it is an explanation of some plot by two people it seems as though there are these kind of tacit understandings about what a conspiracy theory must do or must be describing for it to be considered a conspiracy theory. Now in comes along Jack Bradditch. Well, not chronologically that way. He was writing 10 or so years ago he wrote this idea or 12 years ago. And Jack Bradditch is like, well, I don't actually know if the conspiracy theory exists out in the world. That is, I don't actually know if I can say with definitive you know, certainty that a certain explanation is a conspiracy theory while another isn't. So, for example, Watergate was a conspiracy theory. Uh, for those that don't know, Watergate was the kind of groundbreaking uh, journalistic, um, investigative journalistic endeavor of 
um, Woodward and Bernstein, working for the Washington Post, I believe, that uncovered that the uh, Richard Nixon administration had orchestrated the um, break-in of the, you know, the DNC uh, to extract like certain files and, and to further their political campaign. Now that is a conspiracy theory, but we don't really believe it. Like we don't really call it a conspiracy theory. Or take the another example by M.R. Extenteth, who says that the official explanation as to what happened following 9-11, that the Taliban orchestrated the attacks uh, on the World Trade Center, is a conspiracy theory. It is the theory of a conspiracy, but we don't call it that. So Jack Bradich questions whether or not a conspiracy theory actually has a kind of tangible existence, or if a conspiracy theory is just a term used to discredit some knowledge as opposed to others. And this is what he calls a conspiracy panic, or just conspiracy panics. And conspiracy panics relates to a broader societal depreciation or lack of appreciation or effort to disavow certain forms of knowledge as opposed to others. Because the distinction between, you know, Woodward and Bernstein uncovering this, this vast conspiracy in the, in the Nixon administration and someone like David Icke explaining that, you know, the moon is, is a hologram, their evidential, you know, practices aren't all that different, but one of them was legitimate and the other was not. Now, this isn't to say that these two examples are congruent, absolutely not, but it does trouble our understanding of the kind of merit behind an, an official story and one that's just, you know, a conspiracy or conspiracy theory. So Bradich relates this to a broader, as I've kind of already mentioned, a broader appreciation of certain forms of knowledge over others. And such an appreciation could only really come into play in what he borrows from Michel Foucault in a regime of neoliberal governmentality. So neoliberal governmentality is a kind of approach to governance that doesn't put all of the power in a single point, like a sovereign or a king or government, but lets people and institutions regulate themselves. So he uses the example of journalism, where journalism took it upon itself to exercise, that is to kind of cast away or conjure away some forms of knowledge as opposed to others, not because of their, you know, uh, conclusive theoretical epistemic merit, but simply because of the narrative that the narratives did not abide by an established regimen of truth and power and, and knowledge. So then you, what, what happened, and this was happening in about 30 years ago or so, was that these alternative modes of, or th these alternative approaches to the acquisition of data and, and facts and, and all that took refuge in certain alternative media at the time, like uh, fanzines, for example, the internet, when the internet was first starting, I guess, you know, more like 20 years ago or so. Uh, people took up these various different media where there were fewer kind of direct regulations and there were fewer, you know, kind of imposed restrictions on what forms of knowledge or what forms of truth could be, could be said. Now, 
with all this being said, this is in no way an effort to legitimize conspiracy theories. They have been historically extremely violent, xenophobic, racist, um, you know, modes of explanation, and they often do not err on the side of maybe the most stringent, um, rational, epistemic uh, practices. But a lot of the time, they do speak a certain truth. So in the case of, for example, uh, the treatment of black Americans by the government, what we see is historically many instances where the government directly acted in such a way as to disenfranchise the black population. So whether it be, you know, having Nixon on tape, trying to get more, um, incarcerate more black people for petty uh, drug crimes like marijuana or cocaine even, like pretty petty stuff, but in order to put black people away for significant amounts of time, or in the case of the Tuskegee experiments, which if you don't know, was an experiment that um, I think infected somewhere like a 500 black men with syphilis without deliberately without treating them to see how syphilis went through the, I guess, the human body, how it affected these people who were viewed as being subhuman. So of course, these examples begin to foment a kind of distrust in these various institutions. And then when black people are confronted with things like gerrymandering, which seems to be so systemic and seems to be so orchestrated and calculated, it's hard not to say like, there are these people in these upper echelons of society that are directly operating to disenfranchise us. It's not some kind of abstract systemic thing. It seems like these people are just directly trying to influence and determine how the black population in the United States is to function, at least according to these various institutions. It doesn't always play out that way, but at least that's how it's trying to be framed. And this of course extends to like housing, to gentrification, to the systemic um, foreclosure of access for black people to uh, various institutions like hospitals, schooling, anything like that. And I'm just using um, the case of uh, black Americans as one example, but of course, different people, different marginalized groups experience this in different ways. The indigenous communities experience this in very different ways, yet similar in some cases. And then within those groups, you have the subgroups of the way that women and children experience these types of um, kind of hierarchical forms of power. Now these, of course, will bring up some kind of um, distrust of power that could very easily manifests itself in the form of conspiracy theories, or at least what we come to observe as conspiracy theories, which then operates as a means to disavow those explanations as being only a conspiracy theory and therefore not being valid. It is, in Bradditch's words, the demonstration of a conspiracy panic, where we fear not you know, the possibility of, you know, government control. We fear people providing explanations that do not correspond to our kind of broader epistemic horizons of what constitutes proper knowledge versus improper knowledge. So to just kind of conclude, for Braddock, the conspiracy theory doesn't exist out in the world. 
the conspiracy theory is tethered to the socio, you know, epistemic conditions that determine what counts as a conspiracy theory and what does not, and therefore what can be disavowed and what shouldn't be disavowed. And to just give like one more example, if we relate the coverage between CNN and Fox News between the years 2019 and 2020, when it was believed that um, Donald Trump had direct coordination with Russia, although many people in his campaign did, that was in many cases a conspiracy theory. It came out to nothing that Donald Trump didn't have that kind of affiliation. And then on the other side of the coin, you have, you know, Fox News people giving conspiracy theories about, uh, you know, this deep state that is secretly running the government except for the Trump administration. Like they're somehow immune to, to that. Uh, but in any case, what we see then is how one news network calls the other conspiracy theorists and the other calls the other conspiracy theorists. So it doesn't seem to just exist out there. Rather, conspiracy theories exist within a certain socio-political paradigm that determines what can constitute proper or improper knowledge in accordance to whoever is really determining it, calling the shots in that, in that moment. So they are then, in his words, that is, conspiracy theories are for Bradditch, doorways into political life, essentially. They give us a view as to who gets to determine what is proper and improper knowledge. And that kind of, it's pretty brief, there's more to it than that. His book on it is called Conspiracy Panics, which I would recommend, it's pretty interesting. Um, yeah, I have some qualms with it, but I'm not getting into that here. Uh, if you like what I did, you know, like, share, subscribe, let me know if I did anything wrong or uh, anything like that, and you can click on one of these sides for some other video. But yeah, take care.